the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem. We're here on a Tuesday evening, first evening recording for us. It was 1988. I was watching Saturday Night Live, (laughs) and there was a skit towards the wind down of the George H.W. Bush, Michael Dukakis election. And there was a skit. You can find it on Saturday Night Live if you search YouTube for SNL Dukakis After Dark. (laughs) And it was Michael Dukakis who said, I'm going to lose this election big time, but I already bought this half hour and it's just going to be me in party mode. It is a great (laughs) all-time Saturday Night Live skit. And you were 11. And we are... Post Sunday blues after dark. <laughs> tonight. It's dark tonight because of daylight savings time, which is our favorite holiday. Yep. And you're wearing um, a hat. Yeah. My, my hat doesn't quite match, but because it was a, <laughs> our first ever after dark podcast, I wanted some, I wanted some flair, but this is my summer fedora. Oh, thinking summer. I, I was thinking that oh. you were thinking like, um, like Austin, South by Southwest oh. tonight. Why not? It is. <laughs> happening soon um you were in a musical mood this sunday too you were talking about jazz fest in april oh was i uh, maybe wait <laughs> signs of spring <laughs> no i definitely was that, that was rhetoric right there <laughs> but i'm glad i caught you off guard this I, is an evening podcast i don't i don't catch we are loose so right now yeah a little loose um <laughs> <laughs> so many things i could say right now but i won't hmm. um yeah, we're, it, we're here in the evening, and both of our schedules, mostly mine, was busy today. So, um, yeah, let's see if any Hallam Wolves catch a different vibe. I don't know. Is there <laughs> really a different vibe at night? We shall see. Um, Dukakis after dark. Dukakis. <laughs> I think my mom voted for him, by the way. Not, not, not one caucus, but Dukakis. <laughs> Um, call it Stormy Monday. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want last, to spend any more yeah, time Yeah, last there. week you told me to read your blog and I forgot, so I still haven't read your blog. I really, I really do want to, but I've been, I've been binge watching random TV shows instead of reading, because I don't read anymore. Well, apparently the spirit is willing, but the blog is weak. Something like that. Yep. Um, did any Helen Wolves read your blog? Do you get, like, like, um, counts on how many people click on that yes <laughs> it's huge <laughs> do people read anymore do, do blogs i mean yeah blogs blogs yes <laughs> super notes mm. um why the sermon why the sunday wow so okay we are <laughs> We are on the birth of Isaac, Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. And, and the idea here is if the name of Isaac is laughter, I was in the mood for a comedy tonight. And we 
what gave me the idea for the framing of the sermon was actually our own podcast. So the, the self-referentialism is strong in our brand Ooh. right now. And do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the comedy versus tragedy in terms of sure. the Shakespeare? Shakespeare, I know I said that wasn't actually true because there's history. Yeah, but we just went with it. The point being, uh, is our life a comedy or a tragedy? It's actually history. And thinking, what if we actually thought that life would not just get worse and worse and worse? I like it. I like the the frame. I liked it a lot. Um, And it makes sense to me it was one of those frames that uh kind of instantly makes sense to me i don't know if it resonated with other people but um there's a lot of grief and sadness out there but just having that that idea of uh the um what is this it's an arc i, I drew it but i don't know how you described it are you like the like you the, the upside the, down you the of the letter. tragedy right and the the right side up you of a comedy um Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of do see life that way. So, what do you mean you see life that way? I, I see life as some people looking at life as just a tragedy, and it's. I mean, in that sense, maybe it just stays low. But there's some highs. Maybe I don't know. I've, I've heard like twenty nine is a high, thirty two, twenty six. Those are the highs, and then after that, it's downhill. Is that true? <laughs> No, but I see what you mean. <laughs> um, but I think it's more promising to think of life as a comedy where there is a low. I mean, we might be trapped in the low um, momentarily, but there's there's some level of hope um, that's promised in the gospel. So I like that. All those Enneagram 4s out there, listen to your fellow Enneagram 4 Emily saying that there is I hope. I don't want to represent 4s. Amid the... <laughs> melancholy we're all unique (laughs) (laughs) exactly um yeah what else do you want to say here i'm just following your lead i I like where this is going (laughs) um i guess yeah i don't i don't have anything go just talk (laughs) sun studios presents the lord so we are in the birth of isaac tonight and or is the you may be listening at any time of your day. The passage itself is pretty easy to interpret. So Sarah bears a child named Isaac. Abraham calls him Isaac, as God had specified earlier. And Isaac is circumcised. And this happened when Abram was 100 years old. And at the end of the passage, Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So the, this is the, the denouement or the end of the story for a lot of dramatic tension as far as Genesis has built up where God chapters and chapters beforehand by this point has promised Abraham and Sarah that he would have a, that they would have a son and yet Abraham and Sarah just get older and older and older and older. Sodom and Gomorrah happen. Lots of shenanigans with Lot happen. But still no baby. And the reader of Genesis wonders, how will God's promise to bless the world through Abraham happen if they have no offspring? But then finally, Isaac is born. Mm. 
I appreciated um, your contextualizing this passage um, specifically as it relates to childbirth or to infertility and hmm. women who struggle with that um, and being offered often this level of like, if you have hope like Abraham and Sarah did, um, that's where being pregnant happens. I, I, I liked that um, you approached the text with this question of how to over or under spiritualize it also as it relates to that. Yeah. Well, two thoughts there. One, I wanted to ask you, I, I almost didn't go there. I mentioned infertility a couple points in the sermon, just cause I'm a dude. Would it have felt that I'm in, intruding or presuming to speak to something that I shouldn't be talking about? No, I mean, but you're, I, you're... I did my best to be sensitive in broaching right. those topics. You're preaching to women, too. So you're preaching into their experience. And you have Sarah here becoming pregnant in her really old age. And so I think it's uh, I think it's um, important to acknowledge that sometimes scripture is misused in this context mm -hmm. and that that moment of being told that you just don't have enough faith and that's why you don't have a baby that's that's really 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 damaging so i think you speaking to it is important which leads me to my second observation the framing of the passage as far as structure that how not to interpret and then how to lean into it a little bit of a sleight of hand um, where I was playing on different hermeneutical questions to give mm -hmm. some frisson to the sermon. Okay, so, you want to define both hermene hermeneutics and frisson <laughs> for people? The hermeneutics, how it means interpretation, how we interpret something, the lens, the frame. And frisson is sparks fly on East Street where the boy prophets are walking, handsome man, hot. It's just the, it, it's an undefinable term because French. So the, <laughs> the frisson question uh, is, so the over-spiritualizing Abraham promise, or God promised Abraham and Sarah, I'll give you a kid, they believed. Kid happened, therefore you believe, and anything you put in that belief box is going to come, come to pass. And... I mentioned infertility as a more specific and serious example. It, it, a larger category, and I think I remember a couple of Howlin' Wolves writing into postsundayblues.gmail.com about prosperity gospel. Not really, I think, a bogey where we live or in our tradition, but there is plenty of Christianity that says, hey, if you just believe enough, you'll get... Mm -hmm. uh, Get whatever you want. That that that's an overinterpretation of Bible texts like this one. Mm -hmm. I think the more common issue, at least for our neck of the woods, and this is playing a little fast and loose. There aren't any real biblical interpreters who write commentaries that'll say now the point of this is to <laughs> under spiritualize. Uh -huh. But from a larger cultural perspective, looking at the Bible. Is there a God that's going to do all of this stuff? No. Right. And reaching back to the fallen condition of all people, not just Christians, not just non-Christians, isn't it true here in the late modern West that many of us, functionally speaking, have an under-spiritualized view of the world where it's just all this matter that's going to degrade and life is going to get worse and worse? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that relates to your comedy or tragedy perspective. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, just like you also used the New Testament um, vision of this of this passage as a place to understand the passage more. Yeah, and my my hope was that, and happily, as I was talking about over or under interpreting, what do we do with this passage? Mm-hmm. And not every Old Testament story is directly referenced by right. the New Testament. This story is multiple times. So being able to look to Hebrews 11 mm-hmm. and Romans 4 to say, hey, this, even though there's not warrant to over-spiritualize the passage and say, hey, if you want a pony, God's going to give you a pony if you believe enough. Sarah herself and Abraham himself are both heroes of the faith for hoping against hope that God would be faithful uh, to his promises. And and this is where I did reference the infertility aspect one more time, mm-hmm. where there was this 25-year gap. That's a lot of waiting. months um, of, of waiting. Uh, but, for example, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, 11 and following says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Mm-hmm. And then for Abraham, therefore from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many. I didn't mention this in the sermon. Another allusion to Genesis, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Ocean City. We will be back soon. Uh, or another beach. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. So so if, if we don't want to over-interpret or under-interpret, over-spiritualize or under-spiritualize, we have the New Testament itself that gives us pretty direct and explicit guidance of that sweet spot mm-hmm. for how we interpret a passage like this. Right. Being commended for faith. Right. Period. Not the, the result of the faith being given a baby, like the promise of God. It's not literal necessarily for everyone else who yep. has faith, but that concept of walking as Abraham and Sarah did. Yep. So, so to put it this way, the common denominator that the New Testament writers, whether the author of Hebrews or Paul and Romans, is drawing is not the fruit, but the faith. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Where the fruit in this case being the result. Yeah. They're not saying, okay, whatever result you want, you'll get. But as far as the faith that exercises a long obedience in the same direction is what this story from Genesis 21 is commending to us. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was also thinking it connects to um, the story of Lot and um, oh. the contrast of Lot's lack of faith. Uh, he, he just lives his life and is blessed somewhat by God in like his life being preserved. But yeah, Abraham and right, but Abraham and Sarah are walking in faith and um, it's commended even in the New Testament. So there's there's a pretty big contrast, I think. Yeah. Um, and actually, it, it also, like, your next point of, like, pressing yourself into life is your con- comedy. I kind mm-hmm. of think Lot is a little bit like life is tragedy. That's interesting. So to overemploy the image of tragedy versus comedy, Lot is a comic jester in a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas at points when Abraham and Sarah give scornful laughter, they are the 
tragic gestures and a comedy. Yeah, I mean, they they make mistakes, they bumble around, but they are in a comedy ultimately where where things are, their their gift of laughter with their son, um, is that is one of the endpoints. Yeah, you could look at. Yeah, one, one other really fast thing with presence of the Lord here in Sun Studios M, mm-hmm. and this could also be a guitar slim pickens but there, there was an interpretive question that i left off from the end of the passage when sarah says god has made laughter for me everyone who hears will laugh over me who would have said to abraham that sarah would nurse children yet i have borne him a son in his old age there's some diversity of comment about whether sarah has in view joyful laughter here versus mm-hmm. people laughing at her again okay i just kind of just because you can't stay in the kitchen too long with every sermon. I took it as joyful, which gives a contrast to when they laughed earlier at the announcement from the angels of the um, of the birth of Isaac. But coming up this Sunday, the laughter turns to scorn again. So if any people hearing the sermon or listening to the podcast, Helen Wolves, are wondering, hey, was that really only joyful laughter in the end of this passage? Truthfully, maybe not, mm-hmm. but we'll get back to the scornful laughter this coming week. So okay. we will circle back. <laughs> Always nice to have a teaser. Um, so muddying <laughs> the water. Muddying the waters. Our youngest daughter. Yes, you are. Is appetizer from the office? If not originally. Really? It, yeah, at least including yeah, what Michael episode? Scott. Uh, season two, episode eleven. You say appetizer all the time, and I had no idea. It's from Michael Scott. Your, your icon. <laughs> if your life yeah. was a comedy, w- which comedy is it? <laughs> Always study. I don't watch that enough to like for that to resonate. Uh, no, probably Curb. <laughs> in my own that's mind, kind of terrible. In my own mind, I'm Larry David. Yeah, that's Let really, me ask you a question. really terrible. You're, you're a pastor here, folks. <laughs> okay. Larry David. Yeah. Awkward comedy. My favorite kinds. <laughs> Misanthropic to the core. Um, but I love people. I don't like a lot of comedies. <clears throat> Mudding the waters, baby. Okay. What was fun or difficult about constructing this sermon? So thinking through the comedy versus tragedy aspect and drawing that common thread, Christians and non-Christians, that we are, and this is terminology that I didn't use in the sermon were, were materialists mm-hmm. where we think there's no God above, uh, no future from nowhere going nowhere. I talk about that stuff a good bit and we're just, life's just going to get worse and worse either for our planet and for the universe or for ourselves and wanting us to take a look in that mirror in a couple of different ways. One, um, a first, a term that I first learned from you years and years ago catastrophizing tell me about that term <laughs> where did i learn that term i don't i don't know it doesn't i don't remember what <laughs> catastrophizing means you know I, I, I don't know i'm just kidding okay <laughs> I, mean, I, I was i would have gone with it either way indicating i never catastrophize actually i've learned it quite well now because several of our children catastrophize if not all of them if not also all of true. us um, catastrophizing, making small news become really, really giant in our parts. Yeah, yeah. and so, so I tried to give a couple of examples 
uh, one potentially negative word means this person hates me. Uh, hey, calling you back for a couple of doctor's tests means that you're you know, terminally ill. Constructive feedback at work means that you're going to lose your job. And hopefully those, those were examples that made, made sense to people. But, but bottom line, if, if we take the little bit bad and make it a lot bit bad, doesn't that indicate that we are living, that we feel that we are living in an upside down view of tragedy mm-hmm. more than we want to realize? The upshot of that is catch yourself doing that. And when we drill down on bad news to make it worse and worse and worse, there's a there's an implicit worldview behind that. Mm-hmm. Sure, and you con- contextualize also with your initial or one of your initial um, illustrations the idea of the New Orleans jazz funeral band. Oh, yeah. The other aspect of that too, because like catastrophizing, you might be blowing up something that isn't actually that big into mm-hmm. something that is big. Right. Um, with the the funeral, like you are like actually truly grieving, and that like a grief, a tragedy like, I don't know, the earthquake in Turkey or the war in Ukraine, like yeah. those are actual griefs that um, are, are tragedies. Um, so I like this illustration of the funeral band that enters with this um, sol- solemn sadness and exits with celebratory um, joyfulness. Um, that's the image that is not like catastrophizing, which some of us do, but it's to wrestle with real grief. Yeah, that's good. So you're you're mentioning a slightly different species than what I was talking about, but also very true. There is grief that runs deep, and I mean, there are plenty of tragedies, M, that both you and I have been close to where we would have loved to have been able to tell the person, mm-hmm. hey, you're catastrophizing right, right now, but right. the reality is that you're not. Mm-hmm because it really is that bad. Yeah. But, and I wouldn't say this to somebody, practically speaking, who's who's in grief, but grief or death without hope is fatalism and nihilism. So right. the hope of the gospel is that death is not the end, mm-hmm. as Bruce Springsteen says in We Are Alive. <laughs> um. Wrecking Ball 2012. <laughs> Last song of the album. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that jazz fest? Um, or not the jazz fest, but the New Orleans Funeral Band? Let me do a couple more things and then we'll go to Bar Band Cover Tunes and do that very thing. <laughs> I, I love the definition from Walter Brueggemann for miracles. Um, so I, I did say there's a proper sense, not over-spiritualizing, where we can believe in miracles. And... Again, miracle is hard to define as a practical category. How do we believe too much or not enough in it? But um, try this on for size one more time. Miracle is not the violation of a natural order. It is a concrete assertion that God is faithful to his promises. Miracle is having to, is having disclosed again that we are not bounded by necessity, but by the freedom of God's love offered in faithfulness. Hmm. So the idea there is that the limiting factor on our hopeful joy is not natural law or materialistic necessity, but by the freedom of God's love. And it's better to be in that set of hands than yeah, the other. for sure. And then to skeptics, 
I will point out that that was a cover tune. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was literally a re- <coughs> reference. Oh, yeah. Therefore, okay. it was right. literally in the category that you just told me that we could get to later. Oh, I, th- I thought you were, <laughs> and, and this relates to the After Dark, I thought you were referring to the uh, pop, pop song, you, you, you Sexy Thing. <laughs> I believe in miracles. I was literally literally looking at your little, your, your, um, outline here. Okay. Dukakis after dark is still going. (laughs) So, Em, I don't know if you recognize that when I said smoke the whole pack, that's a reference to smoking. (laughs) And... Hopefully that didn't seem overly so. So there was a little rhetorical effect there. Hope, hopefully it didn't seem I don't su- even, super mean or judgmental. I don't ju- feel like I even noticed you, that comment. Where are you, where is that comment? So, <laughs> so I said, if you're somebody who's skeptical of spiritual realities and or believes that the overall story of the world is that things are going to end badly mm-hmm. one way or another, and there's no meaning in the meantime. Uh, smoke the whole pack right right and, right right. why not and go ahead and or do, do you know what that like can you fill in that reference you, do you know what it's i mean just to like no well <laughs> i mean i think i do but are you saying like something less literal than smoking a whole pack of cigarettes or what what's like, the context around that uh idiom uh like i mean one shouldn't smoke one cigarette so Right. Is there like a, is there something deeper than? You know, half step further. So, so I think the reference comes from if a parent catches a kid smoking a cigarette, if the parent wants to exercise tough love, the parent tells the kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I have heard Oh, you're smoking one cigarette? Mm -hmm. Here's a whole pack and I'm going to watch you smoke every one of them until you throw up. Right, right, right. And can't handle it anymore as sort of a, and as far, I don't know if that's even... I mean, it's probably not good parental policy, <laughs> but but it's a. Uh, the idea is, if you really want to do this, it's self consistent to follow through mm-hmm. and asking. Hey, if you think everything is meaningless and life, even from a you know environmental, economic, political standpoint, is just going to get worse and worse, and there's nothing else. Play that through to its conclusions and live out of that worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, one of the things that Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, talks about in his book *Reason for God* and also the follow-up book that he wrote in 2015, 2016, 2017. I forget the name of it. I read it a couple of years ago. Not Jim is looking. Jim is I'm looking perusing at the bookshelf right now. As Sa- you sadly, this one was on Kindle, so I need to. Were look for it some somewhere else um but but the idea there um is religious skepticism is as much an act of faith as religious belief where a religious skeptic requires faith to believe in the structure of a universe beyond what can be proven in a microscope or a telescope and then also um to say that I want to live a life full of meaning and purpose, even though at a larger level life is meaningless and purposelessness, that also requires an act of faith. So it's not true for a skeptic 
strictly speaking to say, well, believers exercise all of these leaps of faith, but we're being purely rational. Mm -hmm. There's faith commitments across the board. Yeah, I see that for sure. Okay, bar band cover tunes. <laughs> You've already covered several. Yes. But um, you started off with being smoky and sultry. I forgot about that just now until I looked at that. Oh, you sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was very distracting for a little while. Um, well, it was distracting I heard, for me as well. It's a wonder I heard any of, wrote any of this down, remembered any of it. Um, yeah, how are you? Still not great. Uh, I was going to say, guitar slim pickings, that was the worst my voice maybe has ever been during uh -huh. a sermon. Scott Flovin, also Helen Wolf, did a great Theology 101 yeah. Sunday school. Our, actually, the first ever Sunday school, really, in the huh. history of Liberty Collingswood. That's true. This past Sunday morning, yeah, like adult education before church. trying to church. think, really, like we never did anything? Uh, not that I can oh, think of. Okay. And I've been here a while. The... Scott was talking for a few minutes and I had a, a comment to make and I raised my hand and tried to talk and I really hadn't said anything all morning because uh -huh. when I get up on a Sunday morning, nobody else is sure. awake. I, I just sort of croaked and couldn't talk. <laughs> and then you were and like, Everybody oh. was looking at me and a couple of people said when I was trying to speak like, oh, I guess Eric's preaching this morning. And I just <laughs> shook my head violently and said, no, it's me. <laughs> and then you stop talking because you need yeah, to preserve your voice. And and I was in Chicago from Thursday to Saturday yeah. for city classes. Late nights talking and the, smoking smoking packs the, of cigarettes. <laughs> smoking the whole pack. And probably got the least amount of sleep over a three day period that uh -huh. I've gotten in a long time too. So a lot lots I mean, the struggle was real uh, on Sunday morning, <laughs> and I, I, I just want people to recognize my pain. Did you actually watch Kathleen? What what Kathleen Turner movies are there? I don't even, I don't know her name. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> some, some, some that shouldn't be recommended on a family podcast like this. Mm, okay. The, let's see, Romancing the Stone, we could say that one. Nope. With... Uh, Michael Douglas, and Peggy Sue got married. Recognize let's, the name. Let, let's say those two. Also a Buddy Holly song, so we are right at home in Barbad <laughs> cover tunes. But Em, you were talking about New Orleans jazz funerals right. and second lines for brass bands. You like the second line a lot. Oh, man. Um, you, yes. First of all, oh, yeah, you were saying you can't, but you kind of just like sidelined the fact that you can't bury people in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Like well, it's skim past true. that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> New Orleans is so weird. Um, yes. So the whole point there, in case we've been circling around it but haven't said it, so New Orleans brass band second line goes from the drum beat and then back to the parade where you have the main band and the second line of revelers afterwards, and then finally the or most earliest the jazz funeral where going to the cemetery is all the dirges and the slow songs in the morning, and then coming back is the all fly away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a great the picture. Celebratory songs, yeah. It's uh, New Orleans. The, and I once wrote, uh, this, this will never happen, but I, I do have, if we ever do a church plant in New Orleans, 
I have the sermon for the lunch Sunday <laughs> written. Oh, no. You're going to scare uh, people. For the uh, no, record. Not, not going anywhere. For the record, and I personally am, I mean, you might go to New Orleans. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but your wife would not be coming yeah, there, with you. There's been an over-minded body <laughs> ultimatum. And uh, part of that sermon includes me talking about how New Orleans is the one place on earth that's both closest to hell and closest to heaven at the same time. Nice. <laughs> Maybe they'll let you guest preach sometime. <laughs> I'm glad to guest preach at this historic church. This is my lunch sermon. <laughs> um, you also invited the entire church to World Cafe Live. Oh, that's that's the, that's the closing van. <laughs> okay. We're going to get to that. Uh you had a so quote, we the second line. Quote, so, yeah, so we're Rolodex, bar cover two. And so, uh, so, article. Sorry, I was talking over you. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Um, Alison Bechdel, The Pictorial Memoir, Secret to Superhuman Strength. This is it. The only thing to transcend is the idea that there's something to transcend. Um, not, I didn't uh, pull that quote because it's, particularly awesomely written, but just representative of a lot of thought mm -hmm. where, uh, yeah, the only thing about transcendence that's relevant for our cultural moment is that we have to transcend the transcendent itself uh, because we are all that there is. Right. So we had... You talked about narrative, the power of story, an Atlantic article, plus Robert Stone at once. Has anyone mentioned how often you quote the Atlantic also? Uh... No, but like you, like it's your only news source in some ways. Like you never quote like CNN or <laughs> NPR, that's, New, right. New York Times, like nothing except the Atlantic. Not the New Yorker. Not no, I can't think of any. No, I, well, guns I, and garden. I forget if <laughs> if we've garden and gun. <laughs> right, that one. <laughs> gun, guns and garden is a fanzine that I subscribed to for a very short I mean, time, garden. but it meant nothing to me. <laughs> Yeah, so so I've I've been a every word of every issue of the Atlantic magazine since two thousand and seven. <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> I don't want to start from there. But you should also be interested to know I I did not reference the Atlantic this past Sunday. So oh, why did I write? Oh, you know what? You just I, assumed it. No, no, no. I was referencing it, and then I realized it wasn't an Atlantic. Or I thought I was referencing my own Atlantic article reading <laughs> on the power of story, and then I realized that no, it was actually a podcast because I don't read. So it was a podcast on his right. brain. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that's perfect. The Robert Stone. This is from. The, his collected nonfiction works, the IUC with. The power of narrative is shattering, overwhelming. We are, the, we are the stories we believe. We are who we believe we are. All the reasoning of the world cannot set us free from our, mythis, from our mythic systems. We live and die by them. So, yeah, Stone, I do quote a lot. And I, I mentioned towards the beginning of the sermon that one of my sermon quote tags, so this was going behind the scenes in my weird quotation system. Power of story is a tag that I that I use because I like to talk a lot about how the narratives, the myths, the whether they're, you know, metaphysically true or not, we live out of those stories that we tell ourselves and over and over and over again in literature and nonfiction and reportage, 
There's references one way or another to power of story, including from my old friend Robert Stone. Yeah. Whom I never actually met, although my brother <laughs> Mark took a class from him at Yale. Uh, so he studied. So one degree of separation. Robert Stone and I are basically <laughs> best friends. Miss you, Robert. Also mentioned Robert Brueggemann earlier. Wanted to go back to the second line jazz funeral stuff. Dirty Dozen Brass Band Funeral for a Friend. Uh, a spectacular album. And that's the CD that I bought for Lloyd for doing our stairs at our house in West Philly mm. when he declined payment. I mm -hmm. said, well, here's one of my absolute favorite New Orleans albums of all time in any context. Dirty Dozen Brass Band. And then Alan Loves, if you're still listening towards the end of the sermon, we got a Sam Hinkey reference. Who's he? <laughs> the martyred GM of the Sixers with some jimmies on top from Dead Poets Society. What are you? Oh, oh yeah, I was going to say, did you know that Jessie watched that the other day? Like, what, there was, in class or something? No, with um, her friend. Oh, she watched it yeah. with us over pandemic and I know, hated it. I know, I told her that. I was like, you told dad that you were like you were miserable she and was, said you yeah, would never watch furious. that ever again yeah i don't trust and you for any movie recommendations ever again she like actively chose and told her friend this is a great movie let's watch it <laughs> i expect uh oh captain my captain apology from my daughter she was like i was things. she was i was young then <laughs> exactly uh, you also referenced the world not ending not with a bang but a whimper. Oh, I even forgot that. Who's uh, w w which author is that from? Uh, <laughs> I forgot the author. Proofrock. You're right. That's Elliot. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> you were so annoying at night. <laughs> like the, he, this is Jim. Like trying to catch me, and like that's that's yeah. my job. My job is the I'm the pitcher. <laughs> I'm supposed to be throwing the softballs and every once in a while a hardball. I, I'm I'm just the innocent here. <laughs> it was the hollow man, but I did have first guitar slim pick and zam that when I reminded you that we were podcasting this evening, you said, oh, good, we have better banter in the evenings. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say we have better banter. No, you used I that said exact phrase. That was, I know. I said that was the origin story of like bantering is that. That's when bantering, like, that's when we're, I'm just so, like, dead in the evenings that all I can do is make fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> so let's see. The only, uh, two other guitar slim pickings for me. I, talking about the New Orleans second line at the beginning of the sermon, I was planning on singing much more, but my voice just could not carry You know, it. that's another thing. The, like, I think that you are just, you feel like there's a challenge <laughs> because your children and your other family members have told you not to sing. I feel like my singing is getting better. I feel I've... like you like have taken that upon yourself as like this internal challenge to do the thing that is most annoying to your children. I'm going to do it to it. That's right. And then the last thing um, from <laughs> Guitar Slim Pickens, I don't think we've mentioned in relation to the Isaac cycle during Genesis that that was almost the name of our yes. son. Mm -hmm. So for a week, the first week of our son Micah's life, he was named Isaac based well, on... Well, he wasn't named Isaac. It was just like being tossed around. 
we have home videos of... I was testing it. Micah being held and coddled by both me and Emily, and we're both going, hello, Isaac. Isaac, hello. But that didn't stick. Micah was the plan, but then the birth was so crazy, we were laughing. We thought, let's go with Isaac instead. But then yeah. it was stick to the plan. That That was really more of a me thing. I don't remember specifically with that, but and uh-huh. between the two of us, I'm much more of the stick with the plan sort of person. Are I think. you though? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh. Is that the gong? Let's end. <laughs> let's end with gongs. Oh now. wow! Yeah, that that was inadvertent, <laughs> but well timed. Um, any other leftovers? Any Helen Wolves? Nope. But for a close and vamp, be sure to write in. Oh yeah, if I did give the recommendation for that. Dirty Dozen Brass album, Howlin' Wolves. Postsundayblues at gmail.com. If anybody, as a result of the sermon this past Sunday or this podcast, has dipped their toes into more New Orleans brass band music or would like some recommendations, Emily and I can tag team with some ideas to get back with you next week. Oh, yeah. And I have tons of ideas. The Soul Rebels are playing Philadelphia not this week, but next week. March 23rd. If you want to come... March 23rd happens to be Jim's birthday. And, oh, wait, you say that the Soul Rebels are playing Philly on my birthday? (laughs) Are they going to sing Happy Birthday to you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, if I could get a sombrero with Happy Birthday to Jim, that would be awesome. Are you going to wear that hat? I am going to wear a hat. Yeah. But not the. I'm looking at the one on my shelf. I, I have more of an evening hat. That's the ending of the podcast. <laughs> Emily's already left. I but don't like our tagline. The, this is the opportunity for just me and you, Helen Wolf. How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. A different ball game. And it has a two-finger circle and erase. Ooh. You're erasing my comment? <laughs> <laughs>